Welcome to Your Highness Podcast, a show where we get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uncover areas of cannabis where accessibility and inclusiveness are lacking, and elevate conversations about ways to affect real change in this space with a specific focus on folks who identify as women. You're listening to Your Highness Podcast, and this is your host, Diana Crash, and today I am joined by a deep friend of the pod, Danielle Simone Brand, author, writer, journalist, amazing woman, (laughs) all around, (laughs) one of my favorite people. Um, Hello, thank you for joining us again. Hey, Diana, thanks so much for having me back. I love co-hosting with you. It's a blast. I always have so much fun when you're here. Um, So we're going to start this episode as we do everyone with the fave pot, not pots. Um, And I'm going to start because I feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You go for it. (laughs) So my fave pot, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, is pure Delta 8. Um, It's a line, um, it's core organic makes the the product line and it's a line of delta eight products they have um gummies and they have uh vapes vape cartridges for delta eight and um they sent me i was very lucky to receive a couple of items to try so they sent me their sour ribbon um sour rainbow ribbons and their white grapefruit gummies and their Purple Daddy, or am I saying that right? The vape pen, the Perp Daddy OG or something like that. I can't, I'll get that right in a minute, but um, <laughs> I'm double checking that right now, but I think it's Perp Daddy. Um, uh, anyway, hold on. Anyway, but the gummies, I'll start with them. They were delicious and they worked very quickly. And I know Delta 8 is like the hot topic right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I'm a huge fan. I love Delta 8. Um, I mean, I love all of the uh, cannabinoids, right? Uh, Yeah, what's (laughs) not to love? All of it. I love them all. And I love when we can discover how something new in this plant can do things that we never thought it could do. Um, so I am here for the Delta 8 experience. It's granddaddy perp was what they sent me. And the vape pen is so smooth and it has a nice um, fragrance and I use it at night. It doesn't make me super sleepy, but it helps me relax. And it's just overall pleasant experience. I really love everything about what they sent me. I have nothing to say negative about it, really. The packaging was really great. The the gummies were nice and light and they um because you know how sometimes cbd gummies can be a little tough right uh-huh not these these were perfect and they were um delicious really i didn't taste any kind of cbd in them you know yeah. what i mean yeah and the vape pen i love it i love the vape not the vape pen the vape cartridge i'm sorry <laughs> yeah that's so funny that you um, and I both have our fave pot thing as Delta 8 this week. Yeah, right? <laughs> my, yeah, mine is also. And the, the funny thing about it is that um, 
Delta 8 is too legal for Oregon dispensaries close to where I live to sell. That They're like, you can order it online. It's basically legal. We don't sell it at the dispensary. However, I, I live in Idaho. I live right next to Oregon, like an hour away from dispensaries where it's totally a prohibition state. You know, it's just total prohibition here. So I have to cross state lines and, you know, illegally, legally buy weed, which is ridiculous, obviously. But, you know, the Delta 8 situation is so funny. So I can't have it shipped to Idaho, but I can't buy it in a dispensary in Oregon because it's too legal for Oregon and too illegal for Idaho. Um, but I uh, have a, a connection in California, so. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> um, a, fr- a friend came to visit this summer and we did some COVID safe socializing and, um, and they brought up some, some nice Delta 8 for us. And I love Level brand. Um, I really am appreciating the tabs, these Delta 8 tabs that, you know, it's just like a pill that you swallow. And it's 25 milligrams, which for me, if it were Delta 9, would be too much like of an edible. Like I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I can't do a 25 milligram edible really, you know, maybe, maybe 15 or 20 at this point, but you know, I'm fairly, fairly lightweight. So, um, but, but 25 milligrams of Delta 8 is perfect. It's not as psychoactive, not nearly as psychoactive. For me, it's just uplifting, slightly euphoric, but very clear headed. And I, I enjoy it quite a lot. It feels like kind of like I thought CBD would feel like to me, but CBD is more subtle. Um, mm-hmm. And Delta, Delta 8 is kind of like, I don't know, maybe a middle ground for me between, between yeah. THC and CBD. That's a perfect way to explain it, I think. And I think that might be the key to getting some of these people who are like anti-CBD on board to the idea of CBD, maybe. I don't know. Um, because it's in between, like you said. I think it's something that really is interesting and I think it'll maybe get more people into it. I think, yeah, I think we're going to be hearing about it more and, you know, the, the, that those effects are appealing, right? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> feeling good, but also feeling clear headed. Like who doesn't love that? You know, it's perfect right. for, you know, for a lot of, a lot of what we do as humans. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so I'm really here for it because at first I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? Delta eight, you know, I can't keep track. <laughs> right. I know. What's this new thing? <laughs> yeah. But now I'm like, okay, I'm here for it. Um, so Yeah, me too. My fave not pot is a, is Bridgerton on Netflix. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Bridgerton. I, I watched the whole thing twice and you think I would know. I think Bridgerton. I think, I think Bridgerton. At least that's how I've been saying it to myself. Bridgerton. I, I've seen an episode. Yeah. Oh, you only saw one. Well, it's because I don't have time to watch TV. I really right. would love to watch more. And it's like my first, the first on my yeah. list if I get to watch more. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I wish I had that. Uh... <laughs> Me too. I have no time to watch TV. <laughs> know, but uh, I'm usually cleaning and stuff like that when I'm watching it. So it's not like I'm just sitting there watching it. And that's why I rewatched it too, because I know I missed a lot of things the first time. So um... that's right. And your kid, does your kid still nap? Yeah, no, not really. Okay, all right. <laughs> I was gonna say you, you have nap times. So you can like you know clean and watch at the same time. Well, I wish. yeah, I know. I wish, and my kids obviously don't nap. Um, so that's why I don't get to watch TV. Is that I watch TV with them often in the evenings? Like we watch a family type uh, yeah. thing, and then by the time they're asleep in the pandemic, it's like ten o'clock, and so right. I'm gonna like do a couple things I need to do, and you know 
smoke a bowl and go to sleep. Right. Yes, I feel like I'm I'm getting away with it because he's a toddler, but when he gets older, I'll be in that situation as well. So it's like now I'm just going to binge on what I can while I still can. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I support um, that. You and know he what? did Watching take a nap. Can be self-care. Yes, that's true. He did take I did watch the first uh two episodes when he was he took one nap that week and I <laughs> So I think that's what got me into it. You know, I was able to really, the first two episodes, and I mean, Shonda Rhimes, she, come on, (laughs) you know, she produces it and um, it's just amazing. I I guess it's based on a series of books. Uh, I have to look into that now. Probably have to read them. Um. (laughs) Yes, it's it's like a a romance series, I think, right? Yes, Uh, it's such a good series though and I I'm hope it's not one of those things where like the series is better than the book because I've had that happen before Big right. I know it's usually the other <laughs> way around but it happens it happens both ways for sure yes that's funny all right I need to I need to get to it someday Bridgerton yeah. it's so good so what's your <laughs> fave not pot so okay it's it's pot adjacent <laughs> but it's not pot um and that's this book that just published i think last week maybe two weeks ago by doc- dr carl hart it's mm-hmm. called drug use for grown-ups and this book is blowing my freaking mind like <laughs> wow. I, i'm already like for decriminalization of all drugs because you know the drug war makes no sense and incarceration for drug use makes no sense but like you know, this is even more radical, really, in a lot of ways. This is a, um, Dr. Hart is the first black professor to be tenured in the sciences at Columbia University. He is like a serious scholar, you know, has been researching drug policy and um, drug behaviors for years and years, you know, decades. And he's basically saying that we have been fed like a bunch of propaganda and bullshit about drugs, like overall, not just cannabis, but even you know, he's trying to demystify and and take away the like s- terrible, scary ethos around heroin, opioids, cocaine, crack, like all kinds of drugs. And it's really, really interesting. And I don't know where I stand on any of it yet, but I'm like, I'm fascinated. Right. That's amazing. I definitely want to read that. I personally think that all drugs should be legal. So I am already on board with everything that he's what you're saying about this, um, because I think that, you know, we're criminalizing people instead of the system. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's, we should be setting up safe places for people to use things that they need to use to get through the day. You know, I mean, really, honestly, just make it safe for people instead of criminalizing people because all that does is destroy generations and, you know, communities and all kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, for me, writing, writing my book, Weed Mom, absolutely. And, you know, being a cannabis writer for years before that helped me realize that there's so much about the conversation around and the facts around cannabis that, you know, we were not taught or that we were taught like the complete opposite, you know, wrong side of. And now he's saying this about all these other drugs too. And I just find it so, so fascinating. I just, it, it makes right. me realize there's so much more we still need to figure out when it comes there's to the drug lot. conversation. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. We need to unlearn a lot of things. I mean, unlearn before we learn, but can we do the same, you know, unlearn while we unlearn, learn and learn. I can't even, now I'm just saying 
<laughs> Nothing. Now he's making Snoop. No, no, no. I, I, I totally get it. You're right. It's a simultaneous process of like, you know, unlearning the old bullshit and learning what's what's real. Yeah. Um, so to switch gears, we're going to talk about a lighter topic. Not really. <laughs> do, we, do we ever? <laughs> on this, point? this is not the podcast for that. Um. Uh, right. We talk about difficult subjects in a lighthearted way, at least some yes. of the time. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Okay, so <laughs> that'll be your new bio. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so today we're going to talk about how the pandemic is forcing women out of the workforce. Um, that was kind of a weird sentence. <laughs> but let me say before we go further, I do not believe in gender stereotypes. I hate gender roles when it comes to the workforce and every other area. But unfortunately, we are still in a place as a society where women are forced to, you know, hold on to the labor of the extra labor, all the extra labor. They're, they're forced to take on that burden. And um, that's unfortunately heightened right now because of the pandemic in, in a way we've never seen before. It's This is unprecedented. It's like we can't even really compare it to anything else, right? But right now, mm -hmm. what's happening is a lot of women are being pushed out of the workforce. So we're going to talk today about how the cannabis industry can possibly set itself apart by combating this mass exodus in some kind of way, hopefully. Yeah, so we have this report from American Progress um, talking about the pandemic, and I'm going to quote it here. They say the collapse of the childcare sector and drastic reductions in school supervision hours as a result of COVID-19 could drive millions of mothers out of the paid workforce. Inaction could cost billions, undermine family economic security, and set gender equity back a generation. So that was like an overview of their report. And right. I mean, truly, it has, the pandemic has driven women out of the workforce in large numbers, but I think it's hard to get a full picture of what that is. And, you know, the stats are still emerging and being analyzed. And it might take a long time before we really have a sense of like the impact of the pandemic, you know, the full picture of the impact of the pandemic on women's employment. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is going to be like, you know, one of Michael Moore's documentaries a few years from now, we will hear right? about all of the things about how bad it really was. Um, I'm sure he's working on it already. <laughs> but, you yeah, know, yeah, something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can see how bad this was in three years. Um, <laughs> right. And while we're still probably wearing masks. Rah, rah. Anyway. Oh. Um, <laughs> You have to laugh to not cry, Danielle. I'm All covering right? my ears. I'm not listening. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yes, it's going to take a long time. But while we're in it, we can still talk about, luckily, there's reports being done like this. And they are not, uh, they're not pulling any stops. So you know what I mean? Like, that's not the word. That's not the phrase. <laughs> they're not holding back with this title. How COVID-19 sent women's workforce progress backward. So, you know, it's like, this is, this is really serious. Um, so another quote from the report, the latest U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics data provides yet 
more evidence that recent trends have made it more difficult for women than men to stay at work. In September of 2020, 865,000 women left the labor force, more than four times the number of women who left the uh, of men, I'm sorry, of men who left the labor force, and more than three times the number of jobs gained by women that month. Among workers aged 35 to 44, men's labor force participation fell by little more than one percentage point from September 2019 to September 2020, whereas participation of women in that age range fell by more than two percentage points in since uh, 2019. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, so that's double, quite obviously. I would kind of expect those numbers to be higher given the massive rates of unemployment we've been seeing, um, True. you know, for both women and men. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not a statistician. <laughs> um, so, yeah, also from, from the report, you know, it, particularly Black, uh, Latinx and Indigenous women um, tend to face, you know, more of these intersecting oppressions, right? And mm-hmm. Um, are feeling more of the effect. So adding to what you just said, Diana, um, I'll continue quoting from the report, Black, Latinx, and Indigenous women especially, all of whom face intersecting oppressions, are also feeling the multiple effects of being more likely to have lost their jobs, being on the front lines as essential workers, and solving their childcare challenges on their own. Um, As a result of a variety of factors, including policy choices grounded in racism and sexism, Low-wage workers, solo mothers, and women of color are all too often not in the economic position to leave the paid labor force to care for their children. Women of color, and Black women in particular, have historically had much higher levels of labor force participation when compared with white women, but they also experience many more job disruptions due to inadequate child care. This is huge. So that's the end of the quote. This is huge right now. Inadequate child care it was already an issue before the pandemic, right? (laughs) In this country, our lack of, you know, providing good, you know, quality subsidized childcare for working mothers or for working parents. It's not, you know, it shouldn't be just a mother's problem to find childcare, although as we know, it often does fall on women. Um, But yeah, the the, the pandemic is exacerbating these inequalities and it's, you know, it's hard for everybody right now, but it's particularly hard I know for, you know, for, for women in these groups that we just talked about. Yes. Um, I mean, personally, I haven't had any childcare all year and yeah, I, I mean, I feel bad complaining about it because again, that stigma is out there that you have to feel bad about complaining about it instead of having a society where we set up parents for success, but that's another story altogether. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's a piece of this story. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's like, we, we feel bad complaining about it because of all of that. And then there is the uh, added terror of, can you trust someone to come into your home or have your child in a place, you know, aside from the financial aspect of it, because that's another added stressor, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not getting as much work. I can't do as much work. So I can't really pay anyone to take care of my child anyway. So, I mean, there are all of these really fun um, levels of terror and (laughs) stress involved with what's going on right now. Um, And I know it's not a competition, but why don't you talk a little bit about how it's affecting your personal uh, situation? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think that the pandemic is crazy hard on families just, in, I mean, I'll speak generally first. And 
as I said, has put a disproportionate burden on mothers as, you know, childcare and housework still generally falls, you know, along a lot of gendered lines in this country, at least. Um, you know, and, and for, even for working mothers, like if, if you depend on your kids to go to school so that you can work, school closures, you know, which are necessary at this point to protect the population means you're just, you know, you're out of luck. Um, and if you work from home already, you may have to spend, you know, a lot of your own work day fielding questions from your kids, helping them with virtual school, doing tech support, you know, lots of lots of back and forth between your own work and 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 their school day, and that's it's hard. That's distracting, and and, and that's my situation. You know, my kids are old enough to be able to, um, you know, mostly direct their their online learning during the day. But you know, that doesn't mean that I'm not up in their rooms helping them. You know, three four times in the morning. You know, it's 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 a constant back and forth between my work and their work, and. I'm also lucky enough, really fortunate and privileged enough to have had my husband working at home during the pandemic. Um, and so I feel like our gender, you know, our our equal parenting has improved since the beginning of the pandemic, which is really atypical, I think. Um, you know, generally speaking, I think a lot of moms have taken on way more childcare than they normally do. However, it's still, it's, it's a huge distraction for both of us. It's hard for both of us to get our work done. Both of us are, you know, worried about our ability to do our work and, you know, keep our jobs and all that given, um, given this reality. So, um, you know, and, and if you're a solo parent, solo mother right now, like I can only imagine how much more intense it is, you know, and, and I'm a part of all these writers groups, for instance, um, and some of them are dedicated to uh, writers who are women or women identified who have children. And there's just so much heartbreak and sadness going on right now for so many women who feel either sidelined, um, you know, from their jobs or just simply enabled, unable to meet their deadlines and look for work and pitch work in the way that they would like to because of the realities of having children at home all the time. Absolutely. I mean, you and I are in a lot of the same groups. <laughs> and so yeah. I see, I, I actually haven't even been on Facebook. I, I'm, I only go on Facebook maybe five minutes a week because it's just so, ugh, you know, it's toxic, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also when you. You that it's like, well, okay, because you know, those, those are the same groups that used to help get me through all of the struggles of freelance life. And now you know, we're all in the same situation one way or another, you know, um, not the same exact situation, obviously, but we're all in a situation where we're struggling uh, more than we have been ever before. It's it's very, very difficult to maintain a freelance writer life right now um, or any kind of content creation, any kind of creative endeavor right now. It, I mean, really, so many industries. <laughs> it's like, where? What am I saying right now? It's just so many industries that are having difficulties. Yeah, um, yeah and cannabis. You know, I mean, so cannabis as an industry, interestingly, you know, the sales have been pretty good this past year. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that is the difference. That that is the difference. I about the one thing I did write about this year. I mean, I've written about some some other things as well, but I wrote about how well the cannabis industry is doing multiple times. Um, surprisingly so yeah being deemed an essential service you know in in a lot of places when when the closures were first happening and um you know the fact that you know there's just more legal access and i mean people are seeing it as something that's like as they should you know vital to their well-being um 
And so, you know, I, I think that that's, that's great for the cannabis industry, but it has not been good for cannabis writers, has it? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, it's still the same. Like we're talking about, you know, creative work and freelancers and things like that. That's all still relevant in the cannabis industry because um, cannabis publications are are going out of business or having financial issues or they're losing advertising dollars. Um, there are a lot of other companies that aren't even publications, but they have like media outlets of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you have experienced this. We both have where we were given a good amount of work in the beginning of the year and it looked promising. Yes. <laughs> um, and and uh, all of all of the work that I've had this year has pretty much dried up. I mean, everything that I had, you know, beginning 2020, I was like, woohoo, this is going to be a busy year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So beginning of 2020 looked pretty different than it. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, I hear you. And yeah, I, I had I had work that I was doing regularly and you know, getting well paid for and enjoying all that just dry up completely. I mean, personally because my focus was on my book this year, writing the book, and then, you know, now promoting it, it's, it hasn't been the worst, you know, for me in that regard. And, and when, when I do look for work, I feel like I can, I can find things, but it's, it is tougher out there. And, you know, many publications have slashed budget. So they're, you know, needing you to produce the same thing for less money, for instance, or, you know, without any sort of cost of living raise. And that's, that's hard. It is really hard. So, um, you know, there are some things that I think that this industry can do to kind of set themselves apart. I mean, I think there's a lot of things, but this is one of yeah. the ones that we're going to talk about today. Um, basically, we're going to talk about how the, if the cannabis industry just watched the movie nine to five and then emulated that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Learn a thing or two about what it's like. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think that's a really good model for any new business. <laughs> Just watch this movie. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen it in so long. Oh my god, I bet it's God. Does it hold it's up so well? Relevant, yes, so well. I my husband's like, you really love this movie. I'm like, I mean, it's just so. It's just so relevant. <laughs> Is it like, is it like full of Me Too moments? I'm sure it um, is. Well, just, I mean, what they did to revol- revolutionize their workplace is like, yes, this is exactly what everyone should be doing. That's I mean, awesome. They, yeah. Like they did, the, they did the things that we're going to talk about, essentially, um, all the things and everybody was happy. <laughs> um, imagine yeah. that. So. I know. Imagine that. Okay. So let's, let's get into it. Tell us. Yeah. All right. So first off, um, you know, we're going to talk about childcare because that's um, a big block. We just talked about it, right? But that is what cannabis, the cannabis industry can do to set itself apart. I think it's one of the biggest ways. Um, there's a suggestion of on-site childcare, which I know isn't really doable right now for a lot of companies, but maybe like a stipend or an expense reimbursement. Um, A recent piece by CNBC says that the pandemic is making it imperative for employers to offer childcare help. Um, It says that 60% of U.S. parents have not had outside childcare help during the pandemic. Yeah, that sounds about right. So does that include school, outside childcare help, do you think? Um, I mean, how would a company work with that do you I mean I don't know how that would even look what do you mean like 
paying for the school or no no no. sorry i was just wondering if if the article saying that 60 percent of u.s parents have not had outside child care during the pandemic does that also refer to schooling um oh, right, you know, or, right. or just like to, to paid child care i wonder i think it was just referring to um to just paid child care got it okay yeah well you know there's so many things to unpack here i mean first of all as we mentioned earlier the U.S. already is doing an abysmal job <laughs> with helping working parents. And according to the Society for Human Resource Management, um, there's a survey that they did in 2019. Only 4% of employers were offering um, subsidized child care, uh, a, a subsidized child care program or center for their employees. Um, and this was, you know, pre-COVID. So, I mean, imagine that, like... <laughs> Yes, four percent. It's such a small, small number. And from from the the parents that I've spoken to who had that kind of option available to them on site childcare with their job, it meant the world to them. Like the ability mm-hmm. to have one commute where you get to you know drop off your kid and then go to work and then see your kid on your breaks and and spend lunch hour together potentially and then right. pick them up right away. you know that that is a quality of life game that's changer a dream. that's for the so dream. many people right, right? I, mean, I i can't imagine like honestly i would go and work i would go and i would go corporate right now you hear me <laughs> i would go corporate i would go back into that world if i had that kind of setup for sure right uh, yeah um and then so and then the same report says that um Roughly 11% of employers pre-COVID um, would offer employees access to a referral service such as Care.com. And um, yeah, it's like, okay, well, thanks for those crumbs. You right. paid my $5 a month subscription. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make it affordable. So, yeah. you know, we've got to go further for than that. Are you going to pay for that person that I get off of Care.com as well, <laughs> you know, or give me money to pay for it? Like, Come on right. and, 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 and only 11% of employees are doing this to begin with. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just a, a <laughs> it's not even a bone. It's like just a tiny right. crumb sent to parents and like, Oh, you know, good luck. We know, we know it must be right. hard out there. <laughs> Here's yeah. a tiny bone for you. So, you know, in my view, this is a systemic issue, you know, and, and, and also one that individual companies can, can address. Like I think it goes both, you know, it, it applies in both of those areas. So, you know, we need big ideas, we need policy changes, we need money at the federal level to do all this stuff. But also, you know, individual companies and organizations can choose to make some of these changes. And I, I want to talk about um, Flocana. Do you know Flocana? Have you been there or heard of them? I or? haven't. I haven't been, but I definitely know who you're yes. talking about. Mm-hmm. I, sometimes it's hard to know like what's just known in California and what's like nationally known, you know, <laughs> I know. cannabis is so state specific. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a company up in the Emerald Triangle in Northern California um, for readers or sorry for listeners who may not know. Um, and we're talking about, you know, the primo weed growing area in this country, Humboldt, Trinity, Mendocino counties, um, where there's you know a lot of legacy growers. And what Flocana is doing is partnering with these small farmers, um, many of whom, like I said, are from the legacy market, and you know, finding the, you know, the, the these legacy growers are transitioning to the legal market, I should say, because Flocana is completely you know above board, and all of their cannabis that they touch is is legally grown and processed and all that. So what they do is they they take um, flour from all these different local, small, regenerative in many cases farms, and they. 
they aggregate it and they test, you know, or they, they outsource the testing, they do, you know, the trimming, processing, manufacture if necessary, packaging, and then the distribution part of, of the business so that these farmers can focus on what they do well, which is growing really good weed. Um, and they don't have to, you know, deal with all of the small business things that make it really, really complicated, you know, in cannabis to get your, your flower to the market. So um, they have this facility that's like a big processing facility for all, you know, some of the best weed in the world. And it's like the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory of weed. I was like walking through there with my mouth open, like smelling the delicious air and being like, oh, I love this place. <laughs> um, so when I, when I visited, I, you know, I, I had a chance to really see like how the cannabis industry can and is in many ways becoming like a real, like legit above board industry. And I interviewed somebody who um, works uh, with Flo Kana. She's the VP um, for, of community relations, Amanda mm-hmm. Ryman, super smart, interesting, knowledgeable person. She's a PhD. Yeah. She's a former professor at UC Berkeley. Um, and one of the things she told me that that is a big advantage of legal cannabis is the fact that it, it allows companies um, to provide benefits and, you know, health insurance and a 401k and, you know, wellness perks and sick time and all these things that, you know, that people, human beings need <laughs> that, you know, that, um, and it, it, it's like you were saying, it's a way that the cannabis industry can differentiate itself and say like, hey, we are a legit industry, but we also want to do things better than previous industries. Like we can be better to our, our workers and our people. We can make it easier for working parents. We can you know, be better for the environment. That's something that, that you know, concerns me a lot. So um, you know, I think that there are cannabis companies out there doing good work and offering, you know, offering ways that their employees can, you know, show up for work and like be healthy and happy outside of work. And that's important. That's awesome. Yes. And I have definitely interviewed people like that who have those kind of environments that they are fostering. And that's great. And that's why I do think that there is a possibility for these major changes to happen in this industry. Um, Because there are people that are trying to like set set some things the right way, you know, (laughs) be on the right side of history, uh, for lack of a better way to say it. So I think another way that employers and businesses can help contract workers, freelancers, et cetera, is to give some kind of contribution to a self-care routine. And I actually got this idea from you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You are awesome when it comes to self-care. When I say you're awesome, I mean, you're awesome at creating opportunities for people and making them aware of why it's important and I loved your yoga video you put on Instagram the, uh, oh, the other day, two weeks ago, three months ago. I don't remember. But <laughs> yeah, I want something more of like that. that. Oh, <laughs> I want awesome. more. Yeah, I would watch. <laughs> I would do your videos all day. Um, but anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. But being that this industry has a lot of self care elements, I mean, to say the least, there's that's pretty much the gist of this whole industry, right? <laughs> self-care right. in some kind of a way. Um, it's it's primarily centered around self-care to some degree, it, it, whether, you know, you want to acknowledge that or not, it's that's the case. Um, I said mm-hmm. it is, and that's it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's put it on a quote card. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but anyway, the pandemic has created 
created a mental health crisis like we've never seen before. And the added pressure that parents have during this time only makes self-care more necessary. So if you're a cannabis employer, maybe you can allocate funds to making virtual yoga available, you know, pay Danielle to come uh, to teach you virtually. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, you could partner with a wellness line if you don't already produce one as a company and maybe offer your employees some kind of discount or, you know, give them some kind of stipend to buy their CBD every month or something like that. I mean, the options are endless, really. <laughs> um, it's just showing that you value your your employees as more than someone who's, you know, clocking in and clocking out, really. Yeah, and and more than someone who is there for your bottom line. <laughs> right? right. You know, so it's, you know, we're, we're people, and the cannabis industry has this opportunity to, you know, to like, as like this combination between an established industry and a new industry and one that's like growing so quickly and becoming legalized and destigmatized and all these things at the same time. I just think that there's this unique opportunity to do things better, you know, than like better. all the corporate models out there. I mean, look, there are some great corporate models out there, but you know, we can keep improving. Um, right. And so, yeah, those ideas are great. As, as you know, I used to teach yoga um, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and I did a lot of workplace classes for people who were super stressed out and, you know, policy people and lobbyists and lawyers. And um, it was a really interesting place to teach yoga. <laughs> I imagine. Oh, what oh. an amazing area. Oh, I remember when I was little and I went there the first time and I just thought, like, this is so cool that people are, like, riding their bikes and stretching and, you know. Yeah. What? And 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 like you were saying, like you were saying, like you know, make sure if if you are a cannabis business, make sure that your employees can afford their cannabis wellness products. I mean, that right. seems really simple, and I know that a lot of dispensaries offer those kinds of programs for employees, but, you know, depending on one's individual needs and tolerance, and especially if one is using, um, using cannabis for, you know, some, you know, something pain related or sleep or anxiety, you know, there, there may be a lot of consumption that right. is necessary. So, you know, make it affordable, help, you know, help your employees or contractors or workers be healthy themselves so that they can show and up. Just to make it a little bit more to the point of how this can help mothers that work from home. Um, as a freelance writer, I have written for a lot of uh, product com com product lines, companies that make product lines that also have some sort of media platform on their website or, you know, whatever the, the case may be, I'm creating content for these people, right? Mm -hmm. I have written reviews for products but never received the samples. So what I'm saying is make it easier for people to write about your products, <laughs> make yeah. it more affordable because, you know, when you're writing, when you're trying to get the writing work and, you know, someone says, well, have you even tried our CBD or have you been, it's like, well, I don't really have the money to pay for this right now. So can you hire me first or maybe send me a sample, you know, yes. uh, people don't think about that enough because CBD is very expensive. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, good good CBD is expensive, that's for sure. And 
you know, a lot of cannabis jobs, as we know, are pretty hands-on. They're, you know, plant touching, whether it's, you know, in a growing facility or outdoors or whether it's, you know, in customer service or bud tending. Um, you know, obviously those kinds of jobs are, are not going to be home-based, but there there's a tremendous, um, you know, amount of support around that that, that that can be done from home. So right. there's, you know, communications and like you were saying, all, all these different roles that you've taken on marketing and social media management, copywriting, brand education. Um, and then, of course, like I like to think about all the kind of, you know, ans- ancillary industries that, right. that are going to be supporting cannabis, like insurance is one, you know, that's kind of fun to think about. It's not, you know, right. not fun per se, but it's like, oh, yeah, right. Oh, no, cannabis. it is. Yeah, it is. We actually have had someone on here multiple times uh, talking about their insurance business in Canvas, and it's very interesting because no one thinks about it, you know, Um, they don't think about it as a possibility. So now is the time to make it more available, you know, these jobs, the ancillary jobs. I always say that weird. Is it ancillary or ancillary? Now I just said it's the same exact way. I, I usually say it ancillary, 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 but you know, I could be wrong. I don't know. I've switched it up so many times. I don't remember how I actually say it. So um, the jobs that don't Tomato. touch the plants. Yeah. <laughs> the non-plant touching jobs. How about that? We'll just get rid of it completely. That's right. But yeah, it's like, like, you know, not just insurance, but financial services is another one. And, you know, right. certainly communications um, and you know, brand management. People, yeah, finding possibilities for remote positions um, and, you know, making those things more available as much as possible. Um, because even if you work in a, a plant touching area, uh, there's probably a lot of your job you could do from home. Um, or maybe, maybe there's not, but if there is, you know, the, having your employer be more flexible with that offering flex time, um, job share, which was all in nine to five, by the way, (laughs) nice. (laughs) they did job share and they, um, did flex time. And I'm just like, wow, why don't people have this? They had an onsite childcare they had, uh, I believe they had therapy services, but I can't be sure about that. But they, they had so many things. And if you consider when this movie came out, that's why it's just so mind-blowing. Oh, but, I know. It was, it was the 80s for sure. What, yeah, like, I can't remember what year. The very beginning. I think it was like 1982 or something like that. Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't know. That's funny. And Dolly Parton. What's not to love about Dolly Parton? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All three of them. I love them all. Anyway, (laughs) Um, but basically the point is, is that, you know, look for ways that you can make things more available to working moms in, in the scheduling, you know, if you absolutely don't need to be on site for something, then, then don't be, you know, make, make people make these jobs, just think a little bit outside of the box when it comes to, you know, what is required of this position you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I hope that, um, you know, moving forward in the days post, <laughs> I say post COVID, but you know, you know what I mean? We're going to be living with this. In a world where we can return to more normal, more normal life post COVID. I do hope that employers 
um, remember that, you know, that their employees could get the job done from home and that, you know, there's more potential flexibility to be had in, in work, you know, work home. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's not for everybody. Like, obviously, working from home presents its own, you know, obstacles to mental health you know when you can never separate your home life from your work life but at the same time it can really make a difference for for women in the workforce being able to you know and it could be it could be a choice between being able to participate and not being able to participate in the workforce and right you know and and not to be not to trade in stereotypes because I agree with you you know gender stereotypes there's not something I want to perpetuate but moms kick ass and do a good job Seriously, right? right? <laughs> I mean, totally. <laughs> At least with you and I. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're if you're a working parent, you know how to prioritize stuff, and you know, you know right. how to multitask, and you know, and and I'm actually personally, I'm a terrible multitasker, but I'm a really good focuser. And so if I have, if I have a little bit of quiet and the ability to, to, to sit down, I can get work done, you know, well and, and, you know, deliver it. So that's awesome. I, I know a lot of mothers are like that. <laughs> I'm quite the opposite. <laughs> I am a horrible focuser. I can multitask like crazy, but um, I want to mention really quickly before we go that you have an art, you had an essay about, about this very topic about you and your husband and how your relationship changed during this. And I really recommend it. Where, where can people find that? Oh yeah. That was in what's up moms. What's up moms.com. So good. I loved it. I think that that's the, that's the kind of ideal that we're looking for, you know, making it so that there's a partnership. If you have one, making that partnership, uh, you know, a possibility to its fullest extent, you know? Yeah. I'm so grateful for it. I mean, I, I wish that it, it wasn't unusual and that I could right. just be like, yeah, this is how right. life is, you know, yeah. I wish all of us could say that, but it's not. And um, it wasn't my experience as a parent for the first many years, you know, for the first right. many years, you know, my husband had more of the traditional job and I had more of the flex work from home or, you know, work of the weekends kind of jobs so that I could be there for our kids when they were little. Um, and, you know, there's trade-offs to every situation, but um, I absolutely took on a much bigger role uh, in, in all the childcare and home stuff. And that worked for a while, but that doesn't work for me as well now, given the fact that, you know, my career is definitely going yeah. in a different direction. And, our kids are older and, um, you know, I'm all about equality. I want more. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we all want. It's just like a, an equal partnership and, and having equality in the workforce. I mean, these are just like still things that we're talking about, you know, like I just referenced a movie that's what almost 40 years old. <laughs> And when it came out, it was radical ideas, and we're still talking about it like it's a radical idea. Um, Anyway. uh, (laughs) I know. I know that none of the suggestions that we we mentioned today are simple changes, and I I know there's probably people listening, they're like, oh, easier said than done. Um, Clearly, I've had a lot of jobs. I've worked in a lot of different places, and so have you, and we know that there are a lot of challenges in every industry that keep these things from being a reality. But if we're going to truly treat this industry as a catalyst for real change, then we must hold each other to a different standard. And that starts with conversations and gaining awareness. Absolutely. I am totally on board for that. Yeah. I think we've opened the discussion up uh, quite a bit today. And I know there is a lot more to discuss. Um, 
and I want you to come back to talk about all of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah, it's always such a pleasure to learn from you and to have you on the show. And um, before we go, I think we should mention that we're going to extend the book giveaway um, until the end of January. So we will pick a winner at, in the beginning of February. Does that sound good? Like, yeah, first week of February. Um, before I recap the details of how to enter the giveaway, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your book, Rockstar? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will. Um, so the book is called Weed Mom, The Can of Curious Woman's Guide to Healthier Relaxation, Happier Parenting, and Chilling TF Out. Uh, it's out with Ulysses Press um, just as of a couple of weeks ago, end of 2020. And I wrote it as a guide to the legal cannabis marketplace for women and moms, um, and also a guide to the changing cultural conversations around cannabis, how we need to talk about it with uh, kids and partners and even parents and older folks in our lives and friends and how we can change the conversation away from one that's um, all about stigma and shame to one that's empowered, uplifted, conscious, all these things. So that's what the book's all about. And um, thanks for letting me talk about that, Diana. Oh, anytime. Seriously. And it's such a good book. I read it myself. I'm in it. <laughs> so is the podcast. It. So is the podcast. <laughs> Woohoo. I was like, oh, she quoted the podcast. Yay. I did. I did. I listened. I listened to a bunch of episodes and really got got plenty plenty to put in there. So thank, thank you. you. So much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for writing it. That's such a good book. And thank you for being here today. Um, so, if you would like to enter to win a copy of this fabulous book, email your highness podcast at gmail.com. And let us know how cannabis helps you as a parent or helped your parents or whatever you think about when it comes to cannabis and parenting. Send us one or two lines and you'll be entered um, in a drawing and we will be picking five winners in the beginning of February. So, yeah, do that. <laughs> nice. Thank you so much. Um, like I said, I would love to have you on anytime, Danielle. Please come back and... I really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you and I appreciate anyone who's listening. And until next time, stay high and beautiful. Thanks, Diana. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Your Highness Podcast or on Twitter at Highness Podcast. Be sure to rate us on iTunes and subscribe.